0: You're drowned by my perfect fire My perfect life Hello, everybody I go falsetto
1: for that Always
0: Yeah, I Well, not I could, always I could go Hello,
1: everybody and welcome to the podcast. This is the Lanky Guys. You are listening to the Word on the Hill. We are the we're the Lanky Guys. Dude, you <laughs> I st- could just cycle that over and over. Dude, again, you're
0: a, I? you're a stickler for announcing the word on the hill first. I listen the to the radio
1: a lot, and so there's always I've, I've had it ingrained in my mind that you always have to break for station identification. Station identification. We we have like a play clock or whatever. It, it's
0: a clock, and it just counts down. And today is the feast of Saint Jerome. Oh,
1: I'm sorry, what are you talking about? um i'm scott powell by the way oh and i'm father peter musso i'm a stickler for that i think they should know who we are yeah they deserve to know the people should know (laughs) i was thinking
0: about a podcast of this american life that talked about news production radio things where they have a clock with all of these segments so it tells you exactly how long you can spend on whatever you're doing at the present moment
1: how long should we spend on this (laughs) not much longer (laughs) because somebody
0: out there is like oh please lord let make them stop (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah. probably many somebodies yeah
1: well this is the 27th sunday in ordinary time and we are actually recording today on the feast of saint jerome that's what i just said you did yeah you didn't i did no really Uh uh-huh you can you can play it back i will as many
0: times as you need to (laughs) to be are you sure recognize this yeah okay i believe you yeah
1: I trust you as a friend.
0: I trust you as a friend. Thanks, isn't man. That, isn't that great? So, yes, the Feast of St. Jerome. Now, what's super cool about the Feast of St. Jerome is that uh, the dude had so many great moments of access to trans uh, original language and contextual life.
1: Didn't he fight with a lion at some point? I'm sure, dude. He
0: was he was kind of a he renaissance He lived in a cave, man. right? He did live in a cave. I've been to the cave. No, really? I've been to Jerome's cave.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've been to Jerome's cave.
0: I've read an interlinear in Jerome's cave. Did you really? No. Where is Jerome's
1: cave? I don't remember. What country? Um, General Hemisphere? Can you give me a hemisphere? hemisphere. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Yes. I plead ignorance. I think it's somewhere in Israel. Okay. It's in the Middle East. Yeah. Great. That's good enough for me. Anyway, the 27th Sunday. So, St. Jerome, please, please
0: pray for us. Pray for Scott Powell especially since he's so cantankerous today, St. Jerome. Oh, he Saint Jerome was cantankerous too, though.
1: Are you sure, that's why they put him in a cave. <laughs> they're like,
0: they're like you into the cave, dude.
1: Hold on, before we go any further, just, we do... just
0: like, just like um, uh, Batman,
1: he every, had to hide out in a cave too.
0: Every time you interrupt me, I'm gonna have to rebut with something more absurd. Okay, seriously, um, Mumford and Sons, the cave.
1: They wrote that song. Okay, I'm done now. Uh, was that based on Plato's cave? <laughs> That's always how I assumed. Anyway, we have a shout out. It is. I want to give a shout out. Shout it out. To Jacob Mutz and his fiance, Sammy Trujillo, who is a big, the, uh, Jacob apparently is a big fan of the lanky guys. And he would be, and I quote, cheesed to get a shout out. So <laughs> this is uh, a great That's shout out best. from your sister, Hannah, who is <laughs> Hannah Mutz. She said in parentheses, pronounced like multiple dogs. Muts, get it? <laughs> so she's out in Steubenville, which is my alma mater, and your brother's alma mater, and everybody cool's alma mater. Yep. And uh, they're from Pueblo. So, dude, I, I had a track coach. I grew up in Boulder, who always called it Pueblo. We got know, a track meet down in Pueblo. Do you know
0: I? It's not how
1: you I it. like vacationing in Pueblo. Okay. Tell me more.
0: Um, they just had the chili festival last weekend. They did have the chili festival. I like vacationing there because they have a weird handmade, one man made castle, not too far from there.
1: Oh, yeah, <laughs> the weird
0: castle. They have the weird castle. Yeah. But they also have the world's longest mural walk. There is Do this, they really? Yeah, there's this mural walk that just goes for miles and miles and miles and miles and miles and miles and miles. It's really cool. Cool. And then they have this weird riverfront, and they've got really cheap bed and breakfasts, and they have lots of covered over graffiti, and that's like my favorite thing ever. And it's got like this slightly depressed downtown economy, which don't I they have,
1: enjoy a lot. Don't they have a new whitewater kayaking course on that river? through downtown i don't know somebody does one of the cities i used to be really annoyed when i, then I it- lost some teeth and i got trapped in a waterfall so i stopped <laughs> that's you a story were- for another day you lost teeth yeah kayaking we- accident baby which one which ones are fake you know you know, we're here parts of these two. Oh wow yeah dude i was in over my head oh i was well no that didn't i was i was kayaking with my good friend who may or may not be listening scott kowalik and uh, Scott has, I think, been responsible for most of my major injuries, <laughs> which were mainly following Scott to doing things that I am not skilled enough to do.
0: Dude, I so isn't anyway. It, isn't it fun to have friends sure that are like that that, yeah. are like that? that are like, like you're like, and they give you,
1: they always give you the confidence that you, that you can do it. He, His was a mixture of giving me the confidence and feeling like I was an idiot if I didn't, mm. which is still confidence in a certain side. <way>. It's, it's bravado. It gives me some of the best memories and stories that I have. Do you know that? So I'm grateful for it.
0: That's actually kind of how I feel with the podcast with you. <laughs> Speaking <laughs> of the 27th Sunday at Ordinary Time. I, I, you give me bravado oh, to enter good. into some seriously tumultuous waters and throw my little kayak
1: in there, man. Well, here's some tumultuous waters this week. Our first reading is coming from the book of Genesis. In the beginning, Betashith.
0: Betashith. In
1: the beginning in Hebrew. Genesis 2, chapter 18 through 24 is our first reading.
0: Then we get into a psalm, which is like a song, but it's spelled differently and pronounced very close. Psalm 128, verses 1 through 6, and chopped up as you need.
1: That's fair enough.
0: And uh, from verse 5 is where we get our response. And um, if you are reading it in a Hebrew way, then it's uh, Psalm 127. That's true. But most people are reading it in the 128.
1: Most people will just sit there in Mass and hear whatever they tell. Yeah. Hear whatever the lector tells them. Uh, Hebrews, uh, our second reading is from the book of Hebrews, chapter 2, verses 2 through 9. Did that sound like Alex Trebek at all? (laughs) And now the Daily Double. And now the
0: Daily Double. Are you trying to say something about me? Do I look like Vanna White?
1: No, but if the way your microphone is, it looked like you just had a mustache, which is very Alex Trebek. (laughs) Hey, Alex Trebek. I'll take swords for 500, Alex. Very good. That's S words. Okay. (laughs) Move on, please. Okay, yeah. dude. Sorry, do you remember that? See that Centerline Live skit? I don't. You don't remember the the Will Ferrell when that guy was was um, mm. Sean Connery on Celebrity Jeopardy? <laughs> no. You've never seen those skits? No. Oh my gosh, they were ridiculous. <laughs> All right. Anyway, okay. And then our gospel is from a Mark,
0: ten two through sixteen. Very good. Okay, and we're doing
1: option one. Did you drink a Red Bull just always- now? I feel like I did. I know. I was just talking, just like
0: that, just all of a sudden. Yeah, I was talking to somebody, and they're like, "I tried Red Bull because you guys suggested oh, it." That's not good. And and I was like, oh. I was like, I was like, "Oh no, they're going to accuse us of the same thing they p- accused Plato of going in the cave." No, being the corrupter of children.
1: Uh, well, that might be true in certain ways. Was it a child who was drinking the Red Bull? No, it was. It was then an we're adult. That was fine. <laughs> <laughs> our lawyers say that that's okay. Oh, I checked yeah. with them. All right. Our reading, <laughs> our first reading this week, is from the. <laughs> what?
0: You are so absurd. Right? I do I want to give even, a disclaimer. I
1: can't even handle you, you can, dude. You can handle me. Just try. <laughs> but this is that great uh, part of the the creation story in which um, <laughs> Adam realizes he's lonely, which is a very sad. So God has created everything, right? He, Adam is is out there. He's given the command to till and keep the garden. So he's get, been given the vocation of being a gardener, a farmer, and a protector, right? That's what he's supposed to do. Yep. And then God says it's not good for the man to be alone, so he's going to make a suitable partner for him. So the Lord God formed out of the ground various wild animals and birds of the air, and they were brought to him Dude, to, man to see what he would call them. This is my question. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like This is going to be great.
0: Yeah, like, is this just like, I'm going to make a suitable partner for you, like here check out the cattle like is he just like, like here here's some owls like check out the cattle you know like like is he just like developing within adam this like need
1: to recognize like yeah
0: like i, I mean or is or is he just like juking him no
1: no no i mean i, I think He's god like, knows god knows that these aren't suitable partners it's not god like oh maybe the cow or okay now maybe the maybe the pig it's not, you know, God kind of trying different things out. I mean,
0: I, I love, think it's. I love dogs. I love dogs cats. are great. I don't really like cats, but like I love cats. dogs and who like likes, who likes cats? People love cats, dude. That was there, our neighbor loves her cat. I saw her running around the other day trying to the cat of the neighbor. Both. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going on a run with my cat. Um, no, but uh, but God I'm is try- milk my cat.
1: Really. Come on, name the. Yeah, it's Meet the Parents, but yeah. you're not quoting any of my movies. <laughs> we're Live skits. Um. <laughs> oh, what were we talking about? Yeah, no. God knows. God wants to create. I think in Adam a sense of longing, a sense of need, knowing that none of there, there is something that he's made for. Right. And none of these are it. Right. And 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 I think you know it's it's just it's a teaching style, right? If God had presented the woman first. Before the realization—this is sort of, in in a very small microcosmic way, the story of the Old Testament, which is the story of human sin. Right. So if Christ came immediately after the fall of Adam and Eve and saved us all, I don't think we would have, as, as a human race, the experience of sin and the great desire and need for a Savior. We always needed a Savior— but God took all of that time, thousands of years, in between the fall of human beings and our salvation to make us realize how deeply and profoundly we needed God yes. and we need to be saved. So in a, in a very kind of microcosmic way, that's what God's doing with Adam. He's making him realize the need that he has yes. and how profoundly good it is when he finally gets this partner. No, Notice again, it's not... And the rabbis had a field day with this. you know, it's not the, she's taken from his side, right? Not from under his feet, not from above him. He's not above her. She's not above him. it's from his side. She is right. a partner. She's a co-worker. she's she's an equal to him. and that that's very clear, you know for all of the people who accuse the Bible of being um, uh, mas- not masochistic uh, uh, misogynistic, right? misogynist misogynistic misogynistic is that a word? you yeah. know male centered so, men being better than women this is showing that even though there are times in the Bible when men act um misogynistically, right. uh, <laughs> that it's never the ideal the, the, the secret to the Christian faith is that God always wants us to operate at the ideal and the story of Scripture is human beings operating at less than the ideal and showing how that doesn't work doesn't work when Solomon gets a ton of different wives, even though the Bible doesn't come out and say, look, he had too many wives, that was a sin. It says, look, he had a bunch of wives, and then he ends up having this huge downfall. He overtaxes people, he gets too much money, he gets too much wealth, he gets greedy, he gets violent, et cetera, et cetera. You pick the the vice, and the scripture will show you the downfall of that person who is performing it, because... Originally, in the beginning, this is what Jesus is going to bring us back to in the gospel. In the beginning, God presents the ideal. This is how it's supposed to be, and whenever we live below that, there's consequences. We hurt ourselves. Right. So when we treat women as less than men, there's consequences. Right. They're just things don't. The world doesn't work as it's supposed to. When if women were to do the same thing to men, it just doesn't work. It doesn't work out. This no. is y- y- you pick the vice, you know, you pick the sin. Right. God always operates this way. And Adam is so blown away by this woman who God brings out of him. He's like, whoa, man. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) I want to punch myself in the face. (laughs) Um, The two become one flesh. Uh, I'll talk about that in a minute. The, The gospel reading, unfortunately, the translation that we receive will change the word flesh to body in the new testament but the fact that the old testament the genesis uses flesh so does the original greek in the gospel reading Sarks, the two become one flesh it matters because in the Hebrew understanding of flesh, it's not just they become one body. Right. They become one flesh, and a flesh, flesh for the Hebrew understanding entails the whole of the being or the whole of the person. They don't just share this act. They share themselves. It is a total gift of one another. That's what it means when God says way back in Genesis that when a, a man will leave his father and mother and cling to his wife, and the two become one flesh. Not just sexually, but in every sense. They are giving themselves to one another. Again, this is the ideal, and the story of Scripture is going to be the story of that not being followed or that being failed at. But it's holding out at the very outset an ideal, which is important if we're to understand what Jesus is going to say later on. We need to understand the ideal and that there is an ideal.
0: The end. Okay. I. That's I, all I got. Thank you for all of your insight and uh, <laughs> for finally letting me talk. I, um, oh, come on.
1: Um, Don't be a poo face. I'm not a poo face. Am I allowed to say that on the air? No. We
0: have to put an explicit marker on it. <laughs> face. <laughs> no. I, w- I-, I was looking at the this notion of the rib. Mm. And because, uh, and like, I, I mean— like, what does that mean? And and like, where where are we finding this rib? And like, why? And it's which is Pluron in the Greek Septuagint. You, you guys have to know that Scott and I are always using Septuagint because when you can when you can actually bind the the New Testament and Old Testament Greek together, the the the, the New Testament writers were super familiar with the Septuagint Greek version of the Old Testament, and it so
1: al- it also appears to be what Jesus uses when he quotes scripture. Jesus and Paul, and you can see it in their words. They quote the Greek versions. They quote the Septuagint, not um, the Hebrew versions. Which is So it's important for us.
0: Yeah, so I, I always use the Septuagint. I go back into the Hebrew, but the Hebrew is very hard for me to actually grasp and understand. Yeah. It's, back, it's backwards. Hebrew is a hard language. It's really hard. And e- even in transliterated mode, it's it's really difficult. But um, I was looking at, at this uh, pluron, and the... The only other time that you're actually finding in the Old Testament, uh, Pluron, is uh, dealing with the tabernacle. Really? And the temple. Really? That's yes. So, so it's actually describing the sides of the tabernacle and the side of the temple. So you actually... Really? You, Ooh. Which is a really cool link for us being able to understand how, um, I mean, just to ruin uh, all of the buildup is the side of Christ is pierced.
1: Oh. I'm just kidding. (laughs) And
0: from the side of Christ, the church is born. And so you actually can see that even in the midst of this, that the temple of the, you know, I mean, we call it the temple of the Holy Spirit, the body, but like this is a really kind of a cool way to start to begin to grasp how Christ is going to use this, even from the very beginning to help us to understand what the nature of what we are doing right now is. Yes. So that was really, that was the point that I just, that just was, was, was struck. But then there, but then there's also like, you know, like how marriage, the marriage covenant really images forth what the nature of Christ and his church is. And, yeah. and that is actually like, you know, Paul goes so deep into this. That's why when, when we're talking about the two shall become one flesh, what we're seeing is that the, the, this from all time is actually meant to image a reality that is supernatural. It's taking the natural and going into the supernatural.
1: Well, it's cool. And, and ter- Tertullian, one of the fathers of the church. Dude, I like Turtle Man. Oh, Turtle Boy. Hey, what's up, Turtle Man? Turtle Man, Tertullian, he's going to make fun of me when I get to heaven, if I get to heaven. (laughs) We've got a lot of that coming. He he said this, I mean, he said this exact same thing. He talked about how the sleep of Adam, the sleep, which I don't think you mentioned this part, the sleep of Adam foreshadows the death of Christ. And while he's sleeping, the woman is taken out of his side, just as, as Christ is dying, the church is taken out of his side. Oh, so yeah. even the sleep part of it is, is a part of the, yeah, it's cool. Cause it's actually, it's, it's two levels. What the Lord does is,
0: is he, he puts him into an ex an an, exta, an ecstatic state. Yeah. He puts him into a <laughs> trance. <Yeah. laughs> it's, it's some people translate it trance, but it's like ecstasy. It's exterior right. or whatever. It's Nirvana. It's Nirvana. And then he puts him into a deep sleep. So first he kind of like, he gives him some nitrous and then he passes
1: out. And what comes out of Adam? Adam's side, <laughs> Eve. <laughs> Who is, and what? whose name is Ish, right? I, or Ish, Ishash. What Ishosh? What does her name mean, though? I don't even know, man. It means the mother of all living. What comes out of the side of Christ? The church, which is our mother.
0: Oh, the church is our mother. The church is our mother. Why so wasn't even? even seeing that? No,
1: I know it's kind of cool. That t- again, Tertullian. Tertullian, on but Turtle it, that's it's a really cool connection. So you totally spilled the beans. Well, that, this, that, that's not directly related to our readings this week, but it's a really interesting insight.
0: No, it's totally 100% directed to no, our but, readings this But it's this not, week.
1: but it, it just isn't, uh, yes. Because we're about to get into it. I just mean it's not, he doesn't, this isn't the, pa- our gospel reading isn't when he talks about his side right. being the church. It's not explicit, it's implicit. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. That's what I meant. Okay. Yes, of course it's there. <laughs> so that brings us to the psalm. And the psalm is kind of cool. So so may the Lord bless us all the days of our lives. And then it goes on. I, well, I, I just took a glance. I was like, okay, why this one? But it goes on. If you read it, Blessed are you who fear the Lord, who walk in his ways, for you shall eat the fruit of your handiwork. Blessed shall you be and favored. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine in the recesses of your home, and your children like olive plants around, my ta- around your table. I tell my children they're like olive plants every night. And they... Are always offended. <laughs> Sorry, I wish I hadn't said that. No, because well, it didn't make any sense.
0: Olive, olive trees are evergreens. They're like they keep going, and they're like wonderful, oh. and so they're like they're always like
1: in this beautiful, fruitful state. Man, I spilled olive oil everywhere the other morning. I literally oh. dropped it on the pancake griddle, and it it just was everywhere. Olive oil is hard to clean up. Oh, so if your children are like. Olive oil trees, then it means they're hard to clean up after. Which That's is, my experience. <laughs> so there's our connection point. No, but but this, so this, this psalm really is all about um, the Lord blessing someone and the fruit of that blessing being this wonderful family, this ideal family. It's funny, you know, I was reading some commentaries on this. And you could read through the whole Old Testament and have kind of a negative view of marriage in a certain sense, right? Paul talks about how he doesn't really understand marriage. He he understands that it's a vocation from God. It's a gift. It's a charism. He's not called to it. You know, he's called to something else. Right. Jesus talks about not being married in heaven. You know, this won't be any anymore. And, you know, aside from a couple of the references, it's just not much, but... And you can go back in the Old Testament, especially in the wisdom literature, talks about the richness of family life. And I was thinking about this. I was thinking about kind of the the problem of this. There's two things I want to say about the psalm. First, the first thing I want to say, and where is it? The word that's actually used here. Aha, here it is, ponos. So when it says it's in this, this first stanza, you shall eat the fruit of your handiwork. Do you see that? In the first part of the psalm that we have? You can just say yes.
0: Yes. You shall eat the fruit of your hands Oh, fruit of, the, fruit of the labor of your hands. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's an
1: interesting word. So the NAB says handiwork. Labor of your hands is better. Um, literally, it's labors. But um, the word that's actually used there, it's ponos, which is not... The, so NAB translates it for some reason as handiwork. You know, we've talked in other readings in this podcast about the idea of artistry and craftsmanship you know as a word for wisdom and that that sort of thing ponos yeah but this one is different ponos literally means um toilsome painful labor yeah this is a very specific kind of labor
0: work that involves much much exertion or trouble hard it, loyal hard what labor
1: it, what does that remind you of um what's the first place in the bible where it talks about that birth or uh, adam and eve the, at the curse adam's curse yeah so here you have in the very beginning of the bible this family being built the family it's through the family that sin comes into the world right Mm. it's through eve being coerced not trusting god sharing that with her husband the family unit marriage brings sin into the world and God's going to use the family in a very real way to actually bring grace back into the world. He's going to come through a woman, through childbirth, through a family, through the holy family to come back into the world. It is the family that is <laughs> the source of, in a certain sense, and the solution to the problem of sin. That's how God chooses to work and reconcile things. And so I think it's fascinating that through this hard um toilsome painful labor adam in other words is going to see the fruit of that he's going to see grace he's going to see reconciliation we'll see that in our families and uh, so you have this idea in the psalms of the fa- how do i articulate this i'm not sure this is going to work or not well, but you yeah yeah keep going well you have this idea and this is where people get into so much trouble And they got into trouble in the Old Testament. They get into trouble in the New Testament. We get into trouble when we read it. But you can almost read this and get the impression that, okay, if the Lord blesses me, that means everything's going to be great. And my wife is going to be wonderful. And my children are going to be well-behaved. And nobody's going to be fighting. Health and wealth. That's almost what this sounds like, isn't it? But it's not health and wealth because number one, the Lord blessing you, it says nothing about prosperity or success or anything else like that. It simply talks about the beauty and the goodness of our children, of our families. It doesn't say your kids are always going to obey you and listen to you. It doesn't say you're never going to fight with your spouse. It doesn't say that your life is going to look perfect and you're going to have a wonderful two-car garage and manicured shrubs and everything else. It doesn't say anything about that. It said the Lord will bless you. And your wife and your family will be beautiful. It doesn't mean they're not going to mess up. I mean, I, you know, I look at my own family and we have so many problems and my kids misbehave. And, you know, it's just family life is messy. And it's tempting to be like, well, I guess God's not blessing us then. But that's not what the scriptures say. It talks about the beauty of the family, the goodness of the family. And I think for those of us who have families that struggle and, um, you know, children who are far from the faith, parents that fight splits, all sorts of things to recognize, no, no, we're not talking about, you know, if you're if you're blessed by God, everything's going to be perfect. We're talking about the fact that you are blessed by God and it is good. Mm. Your family is good, even if your children are misbehaving, even if your son and daughter has left the church, even if you're fighting with your spouse, there is a goodness. And what the Bible is always trying to do, this is we, what we said in the first reading, the Bible is always trying to call us back to the ideal. Right, And if you're in a marriage that you feel like there's struggles or if you're seeing your kids doing all sorts of things and you remember, no, wait a second, there is an ideal that I'm called to. You can bring yourself back and be like, I'm going to work toward that. And and I think we'd free ourselves from a lot of the divorce and, and you know failed marriages in our world if we remembered. No, it's possible to have this because we fall into this. Into this default position of, well, I guess I'll, you know, this isn't gonna work. There's no reconciliation here. There's no fixing this. I can't fix this relationship. I can't build this. So I'm, I'm gonna throw in the towel, and to forget. No, there actually is an ideal, and we look around the world and we're like, well, geez, what is it like? Seventy percent of people get divorced now, or sixty, some some absurd number. It just can't work. It doesn't work. There's no good marriage. And the Bible is saying, "No, there is. Even if less than one percent actually meet that criteria, the criteria still exists. There is the ideal, and you can do it with God's grace."
0: Well, and I even look at the the, the words: "Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine within your house." What does a vine need? Water. It needs a vine. Is its own support?
1: Oh, a vine oh. is
0: is is actually bound together.
1: Well, and the children, too, With they're not all of trees, they're all oh, of plants. Well, I wonder what, if the word is branches, though, in,
0: in Greek. I don't know. It's not. It actually, <laughs> like, it, <it's> specific, <laughs> it specifically means individual plants because there is a certain sense of autonomy that's being granted. Uh-huh. Aha. And, and Thomas is very quick to point that out, actually, in his commentary on it. Aha. Uh-huh. Um, but he also points out that, fact, that, that men, men and women actually need to be interreliant. Okay men are not intrinsically oh, yeah, 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 men's yeah, yeah. are not, not intrinsically fruitful women are and they right. are fruitful and they need profoundly need each other and that's right. where that that fruitful vine is really beautiful With, yeah. interestingly enough it's but this is this is the question too i think that there's something well, not the question i think that there's something that points to the domestic church within this reality yeah that that Um, as we're talking about before how the side of the temple and the tabernacle, that there's something sacred within this, what we're looking at, even within there's, there's something about this interiority of, um, of a home that is sacred to God. Hmm. And that there is an, there's a, there's a four, there's a four viewing of Nazareth Hmm. of labor being fruitful and happiness, even in the midst of poverty and struggle and difficulty. Yeah, um, but at the same time, that there's also looking back to saying like, no, there's a corrective towards Adam and Eve, hmm. like uh, the, that uh, that it's there's not lording over, but there's there's real labor and uh, dealing with the curse that has come from Adam and Eve, but yet there's still happiness in the midst of it. Yes, and fruitfulness and prosperity and your children's children in peace.
1: Yeah, wow, that's cool. Yeah. Which I, I, oddly enough, I think is a good segue into the second reading. Talk to me about that. So Hebrews. So th- this is, um, Hebrews, by the way. Is a lot to do with coffee and how uh, uh, Moses makes his coffee. Uh, Hebrews. I'm even getting sick of that joke, <laughs> um, which is weird. <laughs> that's no, not, the Hebrews. <laughs> that's,
0: wow. I never thought this day would come. Sorry. Of course, it has been years that we've been using it.
1: I said I'm getting sick of it. I didn't, <laughs> say, any, I didn't say I'm there yet. And maybe I'm only sick of it when you say it. I'm only sick of you, really, but is what you're saying <laughs> oh, no, to me. Oh no, I love you. I a, love you too, as a friend. Um, yeah. So the Hebrews, the Hebrews should probably be more properly read as a homily or a sermon. It calls itself a word of exhortation, okay. than properly speaking, a letter. It's not quite a letter. It actually calls itself something something other than that. Um, I I don't. There's been debate for so long over who wrote it. Is it sometimes it's it's you know put in the category of Paul's epistles. Um, nobody It's left anonymous. So this is one of those where the church is, is, we have some freedom to speculate and say, well, who did write it? I don't think Paul wrote it. There's a big school of thought that says Paul wrote it because it has Paul's theology in it. But I don't think he did because it's written to the Hebrews. And one thing we know about Paul is that he wasn't the apostle to the Hebrew people. He wasn't the apostle to the Jews. He was the apostle to the Gentiles. And it doesn't seem to be fitting with Paul's own understanding of his vocation to write back to the Jewish people, his job is the Gentiles. So right. maybe it was Timothy or, or you know, one of his one of his followers that has Pauls thought. Right. But really, what it's doing is this: it's this word of exhortation and encouragement to who? Well, to the Hebrews, to the Jewish people. So take a step back for a second. Just imagine this: back in, it up, back it up. You're in the, um, you know, the years after Jesus's ascension, right? You're in the decades following that. And you know, a lot of us have. Um, you know, probably given up a lot and sacrificed much for the sake of our faith. You know, maybe we have family members who think we're crazy for taking our faith seriously or listening to a podcast like this on our drive and you could be doing something more interesting. Um, well, not that that exists. But, you, you know, I mean, we have yeah. some struggles. Imagine that you live in Jerusalem or in Judea in the years following, in the decades following Jesus' ascension. What is everybody in Jerusalem and Judea preparing for in the decades after Jesus' ascension? Everyone has their mind on one thing and pretty much one thing alone. I don't know. It's a war that's raging, that's brewing between them and Rome. Oh, Remember, yeah, everybody's yeah, yeah, preparing, yeah. Yeah, you know this. Everyone's preparing for conflict. Everybody's gathering their weaponry. They're doing it in Jesus' time. But in the decades after that, it's heating up big time, and it will break out in about 66 A.D. There will be full-fledged war. Jerusalem will be obliterated, the temple destroyed, all sorts of stuff. But in the years prior to that, everybody's preparing. So imagine you are... A Jewish person who's now a believer in Jesus, and you live in Jerusalem or in Judea, and everyone around you, your family, your spouse, your brothers, your sisters, your co-workers, maybe even your children, they're all getting ready for war against Rome, and they're preparing themselves. But you have been told pretty specifically by Jesus that when you see war coming, and when you see the armies on the horizon, what are you supposed to do? Run. Run for the hills. Now, in a culture in which, you know, there's, again, no separation between church and state, you're you're defense of the holy land and the temple and everything else is your faith. That is your family roots. It's everything. How do you think your neighbors and your friends and your family are going to look at you when they find out that when war breaks out and they're all going to sacrifice their lives, you're going to run for the mountains? You're a traitor. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine how hard that would be? And add on to that, you have this faith in which, look, you know, the apostles tell me that Jesus is my high priest, but... I don't exactly know where, you know, again, we're talking about the years after the Ascension. The Christian church is still working out what any of this means. They're like, okay, Jesus is my high priest, and I think he's in the Eucharist, but he's not actually here. He's in heaven, but he's here also. And, you know, I mean, it's just, it's we have confusion enough 2,000 years later. Imagine you're the first ones to have to figure this stuff out. And you're like, man, it might, you know, I see high priest Caiaphas over there. I get that. I see the temple over there. I know Jesus says he's the temple, but I don't, I don't get that totally. You know, I get the Jewish faith, and maybe there's a lot of Christians who are just tempted to throw in the towel and be like, you know what? This makes more sense. I can't handle this. I can't handle the pressure. I'm going back. Right. And so the whole book is basically saying why you cannot go back. If you realize what you have, Mm. where you've actually come, what Christ has done, if you saw the full vision of that, there is no way you could ever turn your back on it, which— I love this book because it gives the model for how to evangelize, not through a series of don't do this, don't do that, stop doing this thing, but showing a grand, beautiful, profound vision for this is the faith. And if you see it and it's truth, how would you ever want to leave it? Yeah. But we don't teach the faith that way. We talk about it in a series of negatives, right? right. Instead of saying this is what we believe. And I think a lot fewer Catholics would leave the church if we did it that way. But needless to say— He's trying to explain. So the author's trying to explain what Christ has done. He says, Brothers and sisters, for a little while, he was made lower than the angels. God himself, for a little while, became lower than the angels, became one of us, a schmuck like me. And by the grace of God, that by the grace of God, he might what? What does it say? Don't look at me. Oh, he might taste. (laughs) Sorry. I totally caught you off guard. It says, um, Uh, That by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Yes. One of the common threads that ties all this together, besides the idea of marriage, which shows up in all of this, is the theme of Adam and Eve. Because it says, he says in Hebrews, um, that by the grace of God, Christ tasted death for everyone. What is the nature of original sin? Aside from the fact that it is not trusting God, it's death. Through what? Oh, it's taste. Taste. That's the way it's explained to us. Wow. They ate something, they tasted it. And what came? Death. Adam and Eve tasted death. For who? For all of us. They brought in these problems, this brokenness into the world. So, what does Christ do? He tastes again. Death for the sake of all of us to remedy that.
0: Whoa! I never saw that. That's it's, that's epic. It's actually. beautiful, and it goes along with my thesis on, it, it totally on Emmaus. Nice. I, I, I'm I'm surprised that I did never saw this.
1: Oh, I know it's amazing. And then it goes on. For it was fitting that he, from whom and through all things exist, in bringing many children to glory, should make the leader to their salvation perfect through suffering. He who consecrates and through and through. Uh, and, and those who are being consecrated have one origin. Therefore, he is not ashamed to call them brothers. I think part of the reason that in the wisdom of the church this is included in our readings is because it's an insight into a change of the family structure. That it's not just man and woman any longer. And it's not just the nuclear family. The nature of family is now ecclesiastic. It's ecclesial. Yeah, It's different. It's bigger. It's profound. Not to downplay in any sense Marriage, which is the first and primary means of family. Maybe not primary, but it is the first. It's the first vocation, right, in that sense. Yeah. And it's built upon throughout history. But in Christ, everything has changed. Now I was listening to some, oh, man, some bonehead news reporter uh, covering the the, the pope when he was here. Okay. And I saw, like, a YouTube clip of it. But it was these two news reporters, like, uh, talking about how they were giving commentary on the mass. And they're like, well, the Holy Father's talking about family all the time and how important family is. But isn't it ironic that he doesn't have a family to go home to because he's got no family. And uh, it's going to – how can a celibate, you know, eh. say all these things about marriage and isn't that ironic? And Father Barron, uh, Bishop Barron, was actually on with him. And he's, and I heard – he was like, excuse me, can I butt in here? Like, as the only celibate here, I have to speak to this. Yeah, He's like, no, that's not what it is. He's like, I'm not – As a bishop, as a priest, I'm not just a perennial bachelor. That's not what it is. I am married in a different kind of way. I am married to the church. I have a spouse. I have children. It's just a different kind of reality, a different way of seeing family, taking what we know of family and exploding it in this beautiful, grace-filled way. And that's what the second reading is leading us to, is that we have to look at family different now in light of Christ. Not that he has changed the family. But he has expanded it to show the heavenly reality of it. Yeah. Which is cool. So that's all built into the Hebrews reading, I think. That's glorious. You're glorious. And that takes us to the gospel, which, um, you know, what we don't get in this way. So this is chapter 10, verse 2. In chapter 10, verse 1, and I don't know if this is a significant point or not. Okay. But verse 1 says that Jesus, so you remember, he's been up north in the Galilee for a while. Yep. And it says here, he crosses the Jordan and he comes back into Judea. And I just wonder if, as he's about to basically bring his teachings back to the beginning of the story of salvation history, mm-hmm. that he crosses the Jordan right before he does it, which is always the marker of coming into a promised land, of a new beginning, of a new start. You know, all, all of this symbolism is embedded in the idea of crossing the Jordan, which he does, and we don't get that in our reading, but, but he's just done it, so it's important. Now, um, so, uh, yeah, anyway, take that for what you will. It says, the Pharisees approached Jesus and they asked, is it lawful for a husband to divorce his wife? Now, why is that a strange question? I mean, um, because everybody knows the law. So, yes, it is. So the simple answer should be, yes. Yeah, that's what the law says.
0: Yeah, but, but, but there's something that's
1: going on that is, they're trying to bait him. Well, why are they asking him that? I mean, if it's just a law that everybody knows... Why would they ask him this? I have a I have a theory. It's not my I think it's Mary Healy's theory, but okay. I think it's they've clearly heard him saying this elsewhere. Yes, remember Jesus has been traveling around a lot, preaching to a lot of people in a lot of places, I'm having a
0: lot of conversations.
1: Surely he's said Don't call something. Me a ah, surely he's said something provocative. Surely, come on now. <laughs> He, probably he said <laughs> something provocative about marriage and how divorce is not permitted somewhere. so people have probably heard about this, yes, you know it, it's the same you know Pope Francis has got the same stuff you know people are always like well he did he said this and did he say that and what happened there? you know yep. the the rumor mill is going on and we have it now they've got it then that like, he said this about marriage he's going to change this teaching I mean, you know all the stuff and they're like, all right, so is it lawful or not and he which again, I just want our listeners to to realize what a strange question that actually is. Because the Deuteronomic law is clear, there shouldn't be any question whether it's lawful or not. The law says, yeah. Yeah, and I, so
0: I, I, I mean, I went through, and it's it Deut- Deuteronomy is like Deuteronomy is, is How you do
1: it? But so what everyone's thinking is, this guy wants to change the laws. This guy's going to change the doctrine. He's going to ch- he's he's doing so. Like, what mm, is he doing? Yeah. And they're skeptical, and they're weirded out, and they're freaked out, and they're questioning him and testing him. And again, they, they were testing him, and he said in reply, "Well, what did Moses command you?" And they're like, well, Moses permitted a husband to write a bill of divorce. Notice that. Well, we'll come back to that. There's so much I want to say about this. And dismiss her. But Jesus told them, because of your hardness of heart, you wrote this commandment. For from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. And then he quotes our first reading. That, look, this is the way it's supposed to be. Those laws that we get in Deuteronomy and tons of them Leviticus, all these things... You know, we've already talked about this on the podcast. Deuteronomy, the word literally means plan B, the second law. It's not the way things were supposed to be. Israel sinned by worshiping this golden calf, by doing all these things that they weren't supposed to do, by proving that they weren't capable yet of being the people God wanted them to. So God puts a bunch of fences around them. He gives some um, concessions, right? That's what a lot of those laws are. They're concessions, because Israel can't eat certain types of food because they're eaten by these other groups that God knows if they spend time with, they're going to become like them. Right. So you can't eat these foods. They can't talk to these people or interact with those people or contact dead things because they. Know, he knows if they do those things, they're going to fall into this great sin. Right. They're concessions. They're not the ideal, like we talked about in the first reading. God concedes that for a time, you're going to operate in less than the ideal. And Paul's thought on that— is that God does that, again, so they feel the weight of how that doesn't work. This is not good that Mm. we have all these laws. We should want the ideal. And again, you see the story of the Old Testament. It doesn't work. They don't thrive. They don't become the people they're supposed to be until Christ comes and removes that law, the secondary law that was placed there, and brings them back to the ideal. But the reason that law was placed there, again, I think in Paul's mind, is so that they long for the ideal. Because we all know what is the best for us. And I think we all know when we're getting less than that. And yeah. that's what Jesus is calling him back to. But he goes on.
0: Well, yeah. Well, I mean, and so we start to get into the fact that he says, okay, let's really like what God has joined, men must not divide. This is, this is like divorcing is something that's not like, if we're going to actually get back into what the ideal is, now all of a sudden we can go back into the psalm and we can go back into the first reading and we yeah. can start to see oh hold on the 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 whole purpose of this sacramental um and natural expression is to prepare us for an eternal reality which yes. is which is which is the the union of god and man and that that, that marriage is meant in a, in a in a true way to actually for real deal, image what our destiny is.
1: So we're doing, so we have two things going on. So we have number one, like the second reading said, God exploding the understanding of marriage to be bigger than we thought. Right. But he's also taking us back to the ideal because look at what he doesn't just leave it with, yeah, divorce is bad. You weren't supposed to do it. It's because of the hardness of your hearts. He does say that, but then he goes on and he ups the ante, so to speak. And he says, he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another, commits adultery against her. Now, the reason I'm stuck on that is because in the ancient, in the Jewish world, it was not legally possible for a man to commit adultery against his wife. Oh. Only a woman can commit adultery. Only a woman. This is why in the Gospels, they always want to stone the woman. They never want to stone the guy. They never want to stone the man who's guilty of adultery because, and this isn't scriptural, this isn't in the Bible, but they've created this misogynistic culture in which men had become domineering. Yeah. they The woman was treated as property, was seen right. that way. Right. Jesus is bringing it back and be like, no, where was Eve taken from? Your side. So if you commit adultery, you commit adultery against her. It's not just her committing, but I, I want us to feel the weight. I mean, for someone to hear a man committed adultery against a woman would have been so uh, profoundly shocking to this culture that I want us to recognize that. Like, what do you, what? How can a woman do that? He's like, no, this is, this is the reality. So even in that, he's bringing it back to the Genesis story and saying, wow. look, this is the ideal. This is what you're supposed to be. And you're both responsible. You can both blow it and you can both reconcile it. But it's it, So he is bringing it all back. And then I was fascinated by the fact that then the reading continues into kind of a new section of text. And it's the section where people are bringing children to Jesus, that he might touch them. And the disciples are like, get the children away from him. They're going to get cooties or whatever. And he's like, Jesus became <laughs> indignant and said, no, let the children come to me and do not prevent them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these you can't mistake the fact that in Jesus calling people back to the ideal of marriage, the very next line is Jesus saying, welcome the children. Here, rebuild marriage and then let the children come. Because what he's saying is this is the family. Mm. He's rebuilding the, the image of of um, the psalm again yeah Which starts with the spouses then it moves on to the children i mean this isn't just two different totally unconnected blocks of readings which actually
0: it's it sounds like that it sounds like this just crazy jump literally and
1: it's not if you realize what's going on if you realize what jesus is rebuilding what is the natural fruit families and children who will grow up and they will take over and they will have families and this is the way it's supposed to be and I, i hopefully live the ideal so it's all interconnected. Last point, and then I'll I'll let you have the last word. But we talked last week how we've entered into the section of Mark's gospel where Jesus will predict his own death and passion three different times, and three different times the apostles will basically not hear him <laughs> and be like, "Well, who's gonna get the bet? You know, who's gonna have the seat at your right and your left?" And they just they just miss it. Yeah. But Jesus is going through. He's like, this is going to happen to me. I'm going to, get, I'm going to suffer. The Son of Man is going to be handed to enemies. They don't get it. They don't get it. They don't get it. And constantly as you're seeing him do this, so what will happen is, is basically this three times. Um, the disciples will, will do something stupid. Jesus will predict his own passion. They will not get it. And then he'll go on to speak and teach in paradoxes. Like to be first, you have to be last. And to be great, you have to be like a child, et cetera. This is the last time that he does it. And this is the longest teaching section of Jesus in the whole gospels. Mark doesn't give you most of Jesus' teachings. He simply says, as Jesus was teaching, you know, he did whatever. But he doesn't tell you what he's teaching about except here, and mainly in chapter 10. And what Jesus teaches about in this longest teaching section are money, the rich young man, story falls here, marriage, and kids. Money, marriage, and kids. And by the end of this long teaching section, it's the first time that it says the disciples were scared and walking behind him. (laughs) So it's in as they're going to the cross, as he's explaining the passion, it's not until Jesus gets down to the nitty gritty of everyday life. Look, it's your money. It's your pocketbook. It's your finances. It's your children. It's your marriages. It's your spouse. It's your relationships. That's when they're like, oh, man, this is getting real. Because what Mark is trying to show us and what Jesus is trying to show us is that few of us are going to be crucified on a big piece of wood. But we all have to carry the crosses of this everyday stuff that's difficult to work through and hard to figure out. And that's on the way to the cross. That's the longest section of teaching that Jesus gives. It's on the stuff that most of us will all have to deal with on an everyday basis. And that's where the disciples begin to get freaked out and be like, oh, man, this is just everyday stuff that we're going to have to change our perspective (laughs) on. I thought it was just about thrones. Shoot. Shoot. yeah, And that's the only proper response is, oh, shoot, that's hard. That's hard, yeah. And we should recognize that's hard. That's hard. Jesus is asking us to go back to the beginning, back to the ideal. That's hard. That's hard. But with the grace of God, because, as Hebrews said, God made himself lower than the angels to become yes. like us so that we could be like God. Yes. It's possible now. Man. <sighs>
0: I-, I can't add anything to that because, dude, you just brought it home. Bring it. That's awesome.
1: They're cool readings. I really liked these this yeah,
0: week. They are. Like, you know, as a pastor, like being able to hear some of your insight into this is like super helpful. Oh, thank you. To be able to guide people in the challenging aspects of daily life living in Jesus. Yeah, it's crazy. Ain't easy being green.
1: No, man. But we will be green next week back on another episode. I don't think with the I link, didn't you work. guys. That didn't work. Anyway, we'll be back next week. We will see you then. We love you guys. Uh bye. Bye.